since Daniel doesn't know anything about college basketball and Andrew doesn't care about basketball at all, I figured I needed to go out there and seek someone who I know pays more attention to college basketball than I did. So I'm going to bring back friend of the show, uh, Veek Chima here. Veek was a Aberdeen graduate. He played basketball. And actually, the reason that Daniel and I met Veek was uh, broadcasting basketball games. So Veek, welcome and thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, the knowledge I could share or the lack thereof. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we could all agree, you know, we're we're all going to kind of fumble through this. And it's, you know, a lot of times the people who win the bracket challenge are not always necessarily the people who pay attention the most. So what we're going to do is try to give you you know, I'll give you a little bit of what some of the main experts that I follow are thinking, and we'll give you a little bit about what we're thinking, and hopefully we can help you get ready. Um, I also do want to just take an opportunity to let everyone know we are doing a bracket challenge for the scrimmage. It's through Yahoo. If you go to our Twitter or our Facebook page, you can find a link to it. There's no charge to enter, but we're going to give away a prize pack worth up to $100 to the winner where you get to pick gear from either one of our local high school teams or the Seahawks or the Mariners or some other team that you like. You tell us what team, we'll get some gear for you up to $100 worth. So we got that going on. If you're interested, hit us up on our social network. So we're going to just start out by... Um, I'm going to ask Vic, you know, we, you watch the selection show, you see all those, uh, the, the colleges being announced and the seedings, what were like some of your main thoughts as you were watching it happen? Well, well, some of my main thoughts, I think, you know, as well as anyone, Justin, I was hurt because my Duke blue devils weren't there. And (laughs) I, I think one thing that we could see, uh, with that pain is this year's bracket. And this is cliche to say we've, we've haven't had a bracket in since 2019, right? So, uh, kind of a year off. And you come back to this new 2021 bracket and you think it's it's totally wrong, right? Where Where's the Kentucky? Uh, where's Arizona? Where's Duke? Where are these blue bloods? Um, and I think this year is an interesting tide to tell. And you'll see it upcoming in the bracket that we might see a passing of the throne from those traditional blue bloods into something new. And so I think that's what initially stood out to me. Um, I think the overall quality of the teams as well in this tournament, it's going to be very, very hard to predict. There are some teams that separated themselves, uh, obviously, like the the Gonzagas, the Baylors, and the the Illinois Illini, um, as we've seen people talk about them via Jay Billis and other broadcast networks. But the rest of the field, you know, and I wanted to get your thoughts, really, really wide open. And, Mm -hmm. And something that, you know, like you mentioned, you don't have to watch college basketball 24-7 to probably be the most correct person in your bracket pool. So it gives yeah, everyone so a little bit of awesome optimism there. So I want to get your thoughts too, Justin. Yeah, I mean, for sure, I, I feel like, you know, every college basketball season when you're going into the tournament and you look at the bracket, you kind of pick out like, okay, here's our top tier of teams. And most likely one of these teams is going to win the championship. And sometimes that's a 10-team list. Sometimes it's an eight-team. Sometimes it's a six-team list. And for me, I'm like, I felt like the only teams that really distinguished themselves were probably Gonzaga and Baylor. And even below that, you know, whether it's Illinois or Michigan or Alabama or any of the rest of this cluster that's right below them. I mean, those teams all lost like five, six, seven games throughout the course of the year. And because the year was so weird where like the big conference teams were, you know, they had a few out of conference games but they didn't get all the cupcake games that they usually get at the beginning of the season so the records that you see for these teams look different this year than they would in a normal year um also you know we saw a major 
I don't know if it's death of the blue bloods, but definitely (laughs) some kind of hibernation of the blue bloods this year. This is the first time since like, it's been since the seventies that Kentucky and Duke were both, were both not in the tournament. Um, and you have North Carolina and you have UCLA, but you know, North Carolina is an eight and UCLA is what an 11. It's not, it's not these teams that you're used to seeing regularly every year up at the top. And I, I don't, watch any of these teams as closely as I watch my Tar Heels, but I, I feel the teams who rely on freshmen this year more than others because they didn't have all the same off-season workouts and they didn't have all the ramp up to the season. They didn't have all those cupcakes at the beginning of the year to work some things out. Some of the teams who really relied heavily on freshmen and like North Carolina has seven freshmen in the rotation. So a team like that, if you're planning on those guys to be good from the beginning, it just kind of didn't happen. So in my opinion, you saw that the Tar Heels play a lot better towards the end of the season, but because they started so rough, that's how they ended up with an eight. Yeah, and I, I think, Justin, that's, a, that's an incredible point that you made because I think one thing that we have to stand back and look at is, one, we need to be thankful that we're having this tournament this year in, in such a crazy, unpredictable environment that we're in. And, and to your point, you know, a lot of these Blue Bloods that have relied on the one and done since you know 2013 to a sense – uh, haven't had that that natural college experience that you would expect their freshmen to have and those growth opportunities. Uh, Duke is a team that I mentioned before who had seven non-conference games canceled this year. Those are seven games worth of growing for those teams as you see how well they played down the stretch. In uh, another team like Kentucky and having Brandon Boston uh, not kind of competing up to what they thought they would have with him until that end of the season. And I want to make that differentiator in terms of seeing players like Cade Cunningham and Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga, these five-star freshmen that kind of were groomed by some of their upperclassmen that they played with and and really had that opportunity to show the ropes. And I think you totally hit it home. And so, uh, you know, that's what's going to reflect on this bracket this year. And I'm excited to kind of get into it. So let's start by the thing that everybody always wants to know, because your your first weekend of the tournament, that's the big one. That's where the Cinderella's and the upsets happen. So for me, I, I don't know if I'm a typical case, but usually like first day, I start my bracket, I go through and I just go gut instinct, pick everything all the way through. Then, you know, an hour later, I go back to it and I tweak it. And then the next day, I tweak it three more times. And then the next day, I tweak it, tweak it three more times. And then, like, by Tuesday, I'm like, okay, I need to I need to mostly leave it alone now. So by now, I pretty much have, I think, the bracket that I'm going to be submitting, although I reserve the right to change little things here and there. <laughs> um, let's go through some of the double-digit seeds that you have picked in your bracket to win. So uh, give me – just give me – I mean, you know, there probably aren't going to be that many. Give give me every double-digit seed you have winning in the first round. Yeah, and, and before we start that, I actually have the opposite approach. I take a one 20-minute sit-down, um, and I've done this since I was 14 years old, and I, uh-huh. I don't know why I've never changed it, and I just do it once, and that's it, and I'm done with it. So I'll, we'll start with that, though. We'll take you through some of the popular highlighted upsets that I but have. Vic- but, Vic, if you don't change it 100 times, then you can't go, oh, man, the first time I did my bracket I picked that team and they won the championship that is true and in this year might have been a year to change it because I have that Duke bias in me since I could have uh remembered watching college basketball so you're right this year was a year for me to change it but uh you know let's start in the west region real quick and and I want to kind of break down some of those highlighted games that we see here um starting in that middle of the region I think if you're going in there and seeing 
the 512. And so that that typical 512 upset that you're always going to see, it's not really happening here in the last couple of years. If you've seen local trends of that upset not really being in play. I think this year is a total reversal. I think Creighton is coming out, you know, really sloppy in that Big East tournament, taking a whooping from the Patrick Ewing squad that was you know, playing their fifth game in a row. I think they've had some internal struggles as well with some of the things that Greg McDermott has said with them. Might have wrecked their team chemistry a little bit. The the UCSB team is coming in hot, and I, I really like them to pull off that upset. In meeting them in that second round, I like Ohio coming in and beating Virginia. Virginia is on a COVID pause, uh, and who knows? They, it's rumored that they're going to be flying and, and practicing on that Friday before they're playing. And so they're just doing this rest protocol stuff right now for a, a Bennett team that relies on shooting and defense. Uh, you've seen it happen before with UMBC. When they get down by 10, uh, it's a tough battle for them to get back. Um, so th- you'll see in a second round for me, I have a 12-13 matchup with UCSB versus Ohio. And then I actually have the winner of the Wichita State and Drake game, which I believe will be Drake out of the Missouri Valley Conference, beating USC. Um, you know, as, as much as it breaks my heart to, to say poorly on Daniel and the Pac-12, I am just not sold on the Pac-12 uh, this year. It, besides a few uh, a team that we'll mention later, um, I, I don't like teams that are solely led by a big. And, you know, later on in this podcast, I'll break down some of the three things that will help lead into a bracket. But Evan Mobley, I, I think, is he's a terrific player, going to be a top two pick probably in the NBA draft. I just don't like a team that being matched up with the Drake team that can shoot the ball lights out really fundamentally, fundamentally sound and had a great record this year, no matter what the competition they played. So for me, starting in the West region, I have three double-digit seeds moving to the second round. Wow, that's big upsets there. I mean, I also I didn't have the uh, I didn't have the Drake one, but I also have uh, UC Santa Barbara and Ohio both advancing to the Sweet 16. I didn't start with either of those, but when I did a little more research, like what you mentioned about Creighton just not playing well at the end of the year, but also like some of these teams, like you see Santa Barbara and Ohio, like it's, it's senior guard leadership, you know, it's great guard play, which makes a huge difference in the tournament. And it's, it could just be one of those funky years where like some of the bigger conference teams, I mean, we're seeing, we've seen a shift and and Daniel and I have talked for the last couple of years about seeing the way it's shifted with Gonzaga from them being the plucky underdog to them being like, the power, you know, you're starting to see a bit of a shift where it's more difficult for some of the bigger college teams to compete. So yeah, I have, I have the 12 and the 13 from the West also coming out into the second round. So, um, if you go to the East, I I think I went a little more chalky in this one. Okay. Okay. Although I do, I did just realize as I was looking at my bracket that I picked every 12, five upset. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. I will say this. It, you know, it, it is popular demand. It, it is what is the f- second biggest thing that we look for in a bracket when we first see it unveil? It's the five twelve upset. It's the five twelve upset. It's kind of that that mythical being that has you know led us astray. But it, it does happen, and it happens enough for it to become a thing. And so I totally could see it as well. And you know, you said you didn't want to speak poorly of the Pac-12. I have no problem saying the Pac-12 is garbage this year. So when I looked at Georgetown, and which is a team who just ran all the way through the Big East tournament, won the Big East tournament, 
I know their record's not great, but they've been playing really good ball as of late, including I think they won the Big East Tournament Championship by like 25 points or something. Yeah, it was a wrap. Um, yeah, it was a route. So going up against Colorado, who plays in the Pac-12, which means they basically haven't played any good teams all year. So I, I like Georgetown coming out of that one. Um, I also picked the 11-6 upset in this one. I think I think it's going to be Michigan State, and I think Michigan State's not only going to get past UCLA, but also have a really good shot to get past BYU. And, I mean, it is a double-digit seed, and I went back and forth on this one, but I did pick Maryland over Connecticut as well. Oh, okay. That's a great pick as well. And so, you know, I pretty much the same as you in this side of the bracket, Justin, and the East side of things. Um, I am going to take Michigan State. I, I, I'm not a huge Izzo person. Izzo hasn't won anything in, relevant in March since the year 2000. And everyone's like, don't bet against Izzo in March. Izzo is a hot and cold type of person in March. So that garbage I can I can stay away from. However, I will say from the conversation that we just had, when you're talking about freshmen that are playing super well right now, and you're talking about a Michigan State team that has beaten Michigan and they've beaten, uh, I think, Ohio State in the last month, uh, it's either that or they beat Illinois in the last month and playing in a gauntlet of what you call the Big Ten, um, yeah. then them taking on UCLA, not even a factor. And I think they roll past a really, really good BYU team. I just think the physical toughness that Michigan State brings and, and just the coaching experience from this round will put them forward. So I totally agree with you there. I actually have UConn winning, but I could also see Maryland coming out and beating that game as well. Feels like the 7-10s are almost as hard as the 8-9s this year from the quality mm -hmm. of teams. But no, that's a, that's a great point on those regions. Um, if we go, we'll just go in a circle here. So if we pop over to the Midwest, I... I don't really, I mean, I mentioned already that I had every 12-5, so I can tell you I have Oregon State here. That, <laughs> you got the beast. Did you do that for Daniel? I, that, there's, a, there's a part of me that did that, but also because I Tennessee's backcourt is two freshmen. They're really good, but they have two freshmen in their starting backcourt, and they also they had a big man that was out with concussion protocol and a facial fracture and I hadn't heard, even as of today, I hadn't heard if he was even going to be able to play. So I was feeling like, you know, inexperience um, combined with a, a lack of interior presence might make Tennessee a little vulnerable. I don't feel real confident about this one, but I did. I picked this at least a little bit for Daniel. <laughs> and, and you know what? You know what, though? I'll say this. Uh, following Oregon State a little bit, I believe they had to go on a or, uh, COVID pause this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and to my knowledge, they were playing very well beforehand. And we've seen teams like Clemson go on that COVID pause and just stumble to get their feet back again. And so if I'm if I'm correct about that assumption, uh, Oregon State's really well coached by Wayne Tinkle. And again, it draws a great matchup in a two different, very, very different styles of play when we're talking about Oregon State and Tennessee Volunteers and how they play. So it will be an interesting one to play out um, for me, this region was a very boring region of no upset. So I have really nothing to say here. I picked every team straight up. It was just really hard to go against any of the, the upper seeds here. You didn't go with the uh, the very popular Colgate-Arkansas upset? Oh, well, that's in, the, that's in the South region. That's in the South Oh, you're region. right. I'm sorry. I got so, I was, I was strolled to the wrong spot. You're right. My bad, so, my bad. Okay. No, we're good on that. I will say, though, one thing that did stand out to me in this bracket, I think of two things. I think Oklahoma State got the shortest end of the stick that I have ever seen a team get in terms of seeding. Um, they have gone on a run 
and ended the season probably is going to be a top 10 team, went to the Big 12 championship game led by the best freshman in the country. Them getting a four seed, I thought it was really disrespected. Um, and on the reciprocal side of that, you see West Virginia, who they have beaten twice this month, get that three seed ahead of them. So I thought West Virginia, although I'm a diehard West Virginia football fan, I thought they were seeded really generously, and I think Oklahoma State really got the short end of the stick. So it might be something to see when we play out in the rest of this region. I mean, seeding-wise, and then also even just their first-round matchup against Liberty, that's that's going to be – that's not an easy game. That's not an easy 13 seed. So then knowing that in the second round, you're either going to have to play Tennessee, who we already mentioned is super talented, and then Oregon State, which, like – I get it. They're Oregon State. They're not the best team, but also if they beat Tennessee, they'll they you know we already know they won the Pac-12 tournament, so they're on a roll, and right. then they will have beaten another really good team. Spoiler alert: I picked Oklahoma State all the way into the Elite Eight, so uh, I'm 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 on board with this team and Cunningham leading them as far as he can possibly take them. But um, you're I'm I'm mostly chalk on that one too. I don't I don't have any other upsets there. But if we do move on to the South, I kind of I got ahead of myself and and mentioned this uh, this game, Arkansas-Colgate, which is, it's become one of the more popular up 14-3 upset picks, picks I can ever remember. And the funny thing about it is, it's not because Arkansas is bad or they've struggled. It's because Colgate's really good. And also, both of these teams are extremely efficient on offense and run a really fast-paced offense. So you could see scores up in the 90s on both sides in this game. Yeah, and, and I totally agree with you on that aspect, Justin. And, you know, to just say it as well, I, I was subject to that person that wanted to be hyped with the trend. I did pick Colgate over Arkansas. Just for the reason the fact is, I think Arkansas is really well coached. They were coached by Eric Musselman, who's that former Nevada coach that took them to the Elite Eight a few years ago with the Martin Twins. I just think there's always going to be a team that is quietly led by really good guard play and that can shoot the lights out of the ball. And and you know what, though? When this game comes down to it, it could be a blowout on either side. It could be a super close game. But the way it's 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 kind of panning out, it seems like to be a coin flip for this kind of seed as well. So I took that uh, took that leap of faith and went with Colgate. Another, another team that I would want to mention here as well is I do have this weirdly uh, obsession with the Conference USA. And I think that North Texas comes out and beats Purdue. So I have the second 13 seed beating a four in the first round. Um, you know, what I think about North Texas is the, the mean green are on a roll. They play with a great style of pace led by a guard who's averaging 15 points a game that can steady the rock. And I just think Purdue plays so slow compared to North Texas that I think they might get the W in the home state of Indiana. Um, so I, I was wondering if you have any other big upsets in that region as well. I do. Uh, well, one of them is I picked Virginia tech over Florida because I have ACC bias. I do and then too. I do too. also I, uh, I already told you I picked every 12 five. So <laughs> I, I have Winthrop over Villanova and largely I know that Winthrop is good and Winthrop is senior led as well, but Villanova has really, really stumbled uh, towards the end of the season. And they're, they're just not, playing good basketball right now so I felt like they're susceptible and like I said I really literally didn't realize that I picked every 512 <laughs> until we were doing this and I was like I, I have that predisposition that like okay where's the 512 and no, it's all of them yeah yeah and, and I'll mention to your villain the the Villanova Winthrop game it's a really popular one I chose Villanova out of just pure coaching 
Um, I think Jay Wright can maybe dial up a scheme with their athleticism and guard play, but I will say you are totally correct. They haven't been the same in the last two months, and that's a total result of Colin Gillespie, their senior-led point guard, all Big East point guard, uh, ending his season with a knee injury, and it seems like they've totally collapsed. So that's a, that's a popular one, and I can see where people are going with that. Okay, so we've gone through some of the major upsets. Did you have any of those teams, like any of your double-digit seeds, making it like past the Sweet 16 into the Elite Eight? Or once you get down, is it all single-digit seeds there? So once we get down to it, into the Elite Eight, so I have Ohio beating UCSB in that next round for that 113. I have North Texas beating Villanova. So my top half of the bracket are two 13 seeds going into the Sweet 16. And after that, I feel like the bracket really corrects itself. Um, nothing too major in there. I will say something that in terms of a highlight that I have with a larger scale upsets in my second round, I do have LSU bouncing Michigan in the second round. Um, and I think that's going to set LSU up for a pretty deep run in the tournament. I am totally high on LSU. One of my key things of filling out a bracket is having scoring at all three levels, along with having an X factor and having your coaching. And I think LSU hits on all that. They just haven't put it together this year, but I'm in love with Cam Thomas, Trendon Watford. I, I think they can really cause Michigan some headaches, especially with livers out. I have the only PAC 12 team I believe in the fighting Dana Altman's at university of Morgan. Uh, not any bias. Cause I played for Jordan Altman at Grace Harbor, but not any bias. I think with Chris Duarte, I am not sold on Iowa. And I haven't been all season, and I, I, I watched them play against Gonzaga, and I, it, the writing was on the wall for me. I wasn't sold on Garza. I think he can be isolated out of a game, especially if the pace of play gets out of hand. Uh, Wieskamp, I don't think, can match up with Chris Duarte, shot for shot, bucket by bucket. I have Oregon escaping in that second round. So for me, those are some huge highlights that um, maybe not double digits, but going in that later rounds, I have those. You know, I'm glad that I'm not the only one that's not sold on Iowa because I watched them play North Carolina. <laughs> I watched them play North Carolina earlier this year when North Carolina wasn't very good. And it was a I think Iowa ended up winning by like 11, but it wasn't an especially I mean, it was a, it was a competitive game. Like they had chances to close the door on them and they repeatedly didn't. And I was just watching it going, really, this is that team that's supposed to be that great. Unfortunately, I was having a hard time picking someone along the way that I thought was going to beat them. Um I just because I'm feeling pretty anti Pac-12 this year, I didn't pick <laughs> Oregon to beat them. I feel like I could be wrong on this, and maybe maybe the Jayhawks will prove me wrong. But Kansas feels like a week three, so yeah. I picked them to beat Kansas as well. So I do have Iowa into the Elite Eight going up against Gonzaga and losing to Gonzaga. Um, let's run through. I'll, I'm going to give you my Elite Eight and who I have winning those, so you have my Elite Eight and my Final Four, and then you give me yours. Perfect. Um, so I have Gonzaga beating Iowa in the West. I have Baylor beating Texas Tech in the South. Um, I have Alabama beating Michigan wow. to get into the Final Four in the East. And I also have Oklahoma State beating Houston to get into the Final Four. Wow. This is the one where, like, the Midwest, I went through and changed my second and third round picks about five times trying to decide who was going to come out of that one. I knew I didn't like Houston. I knew I wasn't going to pick Houston into the final four. Illinois was the other one that like, it was hard to pick against the fighting Illini, but I just, I feel like Oklahoma state can get on a roll because not only do they have Cunningham, 
but they also have uh, they they were able to win games without him. So I feel like that's a team that's very capable of competing at the highest level. So I'll have Oklahoma State, Alabama, Gonzaga, and Baylor in my Final Four. Okay, awesome. So I'll I'll go ahead and start with my West then. So I have Gonzaga beating Kansas. Uh, you know, we talked about Kansas being a week three. I think they were kind of coming into their mold, being a younger team earlier this season and figuring that out. Uh, to round out the top half of the bracket, I have Baylor are losing to Ohio State. So I have the Buckeyes beating Baylor in that round. And I think I think what's going to happen is I think Iowa State has just played in much bigger games, much better games, and they don't turn the ball over. Their their guard play is is just great. And I think some of the bread and butter is for Baylor to speed up the game a little bit using Jared Butler, Mark Vidal. I think Ohio State shuts that down. Going into the bottom part of the bracket in the east, I have Texas, uh, led by their two guards and Jericho Sims and the Shaka Smarts, beating Florida State. So that's as far as my ACC bias will go. Uh, <laughs> I think Florida State, yeah, I think Florida State's a good team. I think they get lucky with the draw that they get with LSU. Um, but I think Texas is just such on a roll right now and can score all three levels. Shaka Smart's been there, um, so I like them. And like you, this Midwest region, hey, you know, folks, uh, it's 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 the most brutal region, and I think from the second round on, it will provide the best games of March Madness. Uh, I truly think so, just because of how deep this region is. I had the Fighting Illini narrowly escaping Cade Cunningham and the Pokes, and the reason I say this is just because I, I think the Illini have a little bit more depth than the Cowboys do. And I think Kofi Coburn on the front line can dominate some of those OSU bigs to put them over. And I think Quentin Grimes and John Durow from Houston propel them in the lead eight. And, and then from there, that was for me, out of 20 minutes I spent, I think I spent four minutes on this game and trying to figure out that what could happen. It's just for me, so hard to fight against the Illini. You know, it, it them coming off of a big W in the in the Big Ten or Big Tw- Big Ten championship, uh, and then just playing on all cylinders right now, they blew the smokes off of my Duke Blue Devils this year. And from them, I I was kind of sold on what they could do. And so my Final Four comes out to be Gonzaga matching up against Texas, Ohio State and Illinois in a Big Ten classic rematch here in the Final Four. And so that will round it out. All right. Well, we got a lot of differences in the final four. That's cool. Um, Now in the title game, I don't usually do this. I went the chalkiest of all chalk and I have for the first time ever, I've never selected Gonzaga this far. I've got Gonzaga, Gonzaga winning the national championship. And I've been the guy who makes fun of all the local people that pick Gonzaga over the years. (laughs) I've picked Gonzaga to beat Baylor because I, I fully and strongly believe that this Gonzaga team like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's been kind of evolving into a powerhouse. It's the powerhouse now. They have great players at all levels. They have a mix of, you know, they have Jalen Suggs in there who may be the best freshman in the country. And then, well, one of the best freshmen in the country. And then you've got, you've got Timmy down low. You got Kispert who can score as well. And just shooters everywhere. I feel like this Gonzaga team is the best team in the country. Wow. Yeah, and, and and I totally agree with that notion. I think what we're going to see in the Final Four is going to be a tale of two styles of basketball. Um, and I say that jokingly because on one side of the ball, we're going to get whoever wins the Ohio State versus Illini game is going to be coming off of a Saturday morning football battle 
with all those bruises and all of those lumps compared to the finesse, speed, uh, high-flying, three-ball shooting teams that you're going to see between Texas and Gonzaga. Like you, I, I couldn't see a team beating Gonzaga this year. Uh, we see a couple ones and twos in this tournament that Gonzaga has beaten handily. Um, and I have them beating the Illini by a narrow margin, 73-66 in the title game. And one of the true players I want to point out, though, is we've seen a couple times this season where Jalen Suggs has struggled a little bit, right? And in, especially early in those preseason tournaments that you see during Feast Week or whatnot, the constant heartbeat that you see coming off the bench for Gonzaga has been Andrew Nemhart. And, and people don't realize how big that transfer acquisition was and them him, him getting to play right away. Former Montverde star, uh, played at Florida and then decided to transfer. He has an unreal canny ability to find open players like Kisper and Timmy. And, and the reason why they're able to score at all three levels is because of him. And so when we're talking about an X factor who is not necessarily on the chalkboard uh, as top three people to key in on, Andrew Nemhard can come in and change a game. And I think he will do that in the final four um, and, and surprise some people. So like you, I, I never picked Gonzaga this far. It's the first time in 10 years I probably haven't picked Duke to win the title. Um, but but you know what? Uh, I, I like the Zags, and it's I, I think it's about time due for Mark Few to have one. And I, I think they got robbed the last time when they played your Tar Heels. I, I feel like they got robbed, but, well, that's a different conversation. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So Disagree strongly. Well, we do agree on that aspect. Yeah, you know, it'll be cool to see. It'll be cool to see the trophy come to Washington from – from the small school, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, now I will, I did say at the beginning, I was going to tell you what some of the experts are picking. I, as much as I hate to admit it because he is a dookie, one of the guys that I feel is most insightful in college basketball is Jay Billis. I tend to really appreciate his analysis and really um, put a lot of stock into what he says. So I just figured I'd share not only what we thought, but also a little bit about what these guys were saying. So Billis has a final four of Gonzaga, Alabama, Illinois, and Baylor. So the only non-one CD has in there is Alabama at two. Um, and he also has Gonzaga winning the championship, but he has it has them winning it over Illinois. So uh, that is what Jay Billis is thinking. And I also wanted to bring in Seth Davis, because although I feel like he's a little hit or miss, um, he is a guy who tends to have a lot of correct opinions in the end. He also has Gonzaga beating Illinois, and he also has Baylor and Alabama in the Final Four. So those guys really agreed on that. Also, I thought this was interesting when I looked at their brackets. They also both have UC Santa Barbara and Ohio winning in that region as a 12 and a 13. So These picks um, are getting too mainstream. We might be yes. all wrong then. It's true. It's probably true. Um, well, I think, Vic, did you have anything else you want to add about the tournament yeah, before, we, I will before we call it a day? I will say this, and, and Justin, thanks for having me. I, I've had a lot of fun over the last half hour. And, and to people that are listening or you know, just to us here, you mentioned something that's a pretty, pretty crazy statistic earlier today. And, and you mentioned that this is the first time ever that both Kentucky and Duke are not in the tournament since 1976. Well, in that same year, that's the last time college basketball has seen an undefeated team run the table and win the tournament. Does history repeat itself in 2021? And that's the biggest question. And it looks like the experts are looking like that could be the answer this year. So that's what I'll leave it on. And who knows what, what could happen this year. And it's always madness. 
Awesome. Well, hey, this has been The Scrimmage. Um, I'm Justin Domashevitz. I've got Veek Chima here with me as well. Um, one last thing before we go, Veek. Veek tweets a lot of really good basketball stuff. Veek, how can people find you on Twitter to get your basketball insights? <laughs> yeah, non-Duke bias insights. You can just follow me at Veek Chima. Uh, pretty straightforward there. And uh, Veek Chima at Veek Chima. I tweet fire. There we go. <laughs> if you're going to... If you're going to follow Veek, you should follow me as well. I'm Justin Dama, J-U-S-T-I-N-D-A-M-A. And then you can see all the arguments we have. We actually had one Twitter argument that uh, Harry Giles of the Portland Trailblazers got involved in at one point. There we go. The Duke <laughs> well, Blue have each other's back. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, somebody has to. No one else in the nation does. Well, thanks again. Thanks, Veek, for joining us. And thanks you, everyone, for listening. And uh, this has been the special March Madness mini pod that follows the regular pod from the scrimmage.